0: today we are starting a new series after we just finished a fresh start in January. Our new series is called Worship 101. And, um, What it is, what it looks like for us over the next several weeks is that I'm going to speak to you about some aspects of worship according to the biblical examples of worship. And we're gonna have shortened times of worship at the front end of our service. Um, And then I'm gonna speak and then we'll have extended time at the end of our service. Uh, Not to keep you here till three o'clock in the afternoon or anything, but we're gonna have a few more songs at the end. And basically, I know this sounds super simple, but basically it's for us to put into practice what we preach or what we learn, Uh, we want to take a few minutes and do that. So um, over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what it is, what worship is and what it isn't. We're going to talk about how to do it, how to do it right, how to do it wrong. Uh, We're going to look at how to make it a more consistent part of each of our lives. Um, As we start today, this new series called Worship 101, I feel like it's important for us to understand really what worship is. So if today's your first day darkening the doors of a of a church, what we've done already this morning is actually worship. We worship when we sing because we're giving our worship to the Lord through song. We worship when we pray. We worship when we give. You'll do that at the end of service. We worship as we listen to a message which is preached from the Word of God. You even worship later on this week when you remember what the message was and you apply it to your life. So Our life should be a lifestyle of worship. We've probably heard Christians say that before, that, you know, worship isn't just music, it's a lifestyle. And this is really true, but we all need to revisit the the fundamentals from time to time. So, what is worship, or how could we define it? The simple definition of worship is that it's love expressed. You can express your love through singing to God. You can express your love being worshipful in giving to God your time, your talents. You can express your love in all sorts of different ways. So worship truly is a lifestyle. We will talk because I want us to talk about the musical aspect of what we do when music comes on and it's worship music. How many of you know it's different than other music you hear on the radio, (laughs) right? Uh, And that's not a bad thing, but we need to know what to do when that music comes on. When you have your radio turned to K-Love and you're driving and you're listening to a worship song, or when you have a few quiet moments. Do you ever get quiet (laughs) moments? Uh, If you lock yourself in the bathroom, okay, and the kids and the grandkids are away and you have a few moments, you can worship God, okay? So worship is love being expressed. When I express my love for someone or something, that's when I'm worshiping. So I want to break that down even further for each one of us. The question then is, what is love? And you say, Pastor, that seems so simple. I'm not stupid. I know what love is. How many of you have ever loved someone? Please, please, everyone should raise their hand. If if you're a human being, you should raise your hand and if you're awake this morning. But love is not primarily an emotion. That's a truth from the word of God that we have to understand that love is not primarily an emotion. It's not a feeling, it's primarily a choice. The secular worldview has been aggressively peddling a message for years. And I feel like I've heard this from old preachers when I was a kid. They were talking about the, the horrible things that are in the entertainment world of the day and all that kind of stuff. But they were right, and I, I kind of didn't believe them. But I've started experiencing myself, and I see that in our media and in our entertainment choices, they've been peddling a message for five or six decades that is erroneous, That you can fall into love like it's a pothole on a sidewalk or you can fall out of love like the bucket just gets tipped over and all of a sudden you're out of love. So we've heard this in fairy tale stories. We've heard this in different ways through romantic comedies. We've heard this in different aspects in the entertainment world and in the media world and it's driven home a message And I have to be careful, even with my own kids, what message they receive, because I'm telling them all the time that they don't fall into love. It's not an accident. Thank you. It's not an accident when we fall in love. And yes, when we fall in love or we hear that phrasing of falling in love, we're talking about the initial moments of connecting with someone. But the sacred worldview of love is different than the secular worldview. So if you have your Bible or you can go on your phone to 1 John chapter 4, I want to read a few verses from an apostle named John. We talk a lot about the apostle Paul, but there were other apostles, and John was one of them. And he says in 1 John chapter 4 some very interesting things about love. Verse 7 of chapter 4 in 1 John it says this at the, at the latter part of the verse. It says, For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us or demonstrated toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, you could say, for our sins. Some really simple words there, but somehow we as believers miss out on them and we don't share them enough with our friends who aren't yet believers. Those people need to hear that God is love. There's a lot of talk in today's day and age about rage, and anger, and violence, and the absence of love, or the absence of other things called civility. But when we look at God's word, that worldview has got to grip us. This ancient text written by an apostle who lived with and knew Jesus personally, and then preached and shared the hope of the gospel with others, is writing these words for us even thousands of years later to have, that God is love. He's the central force behind what we could call authentic or true, genuine love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we didn't deserve his love, but he willingly or willfully chose us To say it another way, even though he knew we would never do anything to deserve his love, he still chooses to love. He still chooses to give love to us. Love is not happenstance or accidental. This message today is about worship, but worship is love expressed. So we have to talk about what love is. We have to understand this has a, an effect in our spiritual life, with with our relationship with God, but it also has a uh, a consequence or a ramification in our physical life as well, in our married life or in our not yet married life, or in our divorced state, or in our remarried state, or in our single state. We have got to understand that love is a choice and love is hard. I love Jericho's statement at the front end of service even if you got mad at your husband for having the flu (laughs) this week, it's worth just worshiping God and saying, God, take all the junk that I am this morning. Okay, this morning, right before she left the house. How dare you get the flu? Guess what? I'm in the same boat, Jericho. My wife's been down for the count since Tuesday. And by like... Tuesday night. I was tired of it. I was over it. Like, I was like, no, this dad thing is really tough. And then she couldn't go to school. So she needed a sub and she couldn't get a sub. So I got stuck with her booger picking sixth grade kids at school. I mean, there was a lot of sacrifice this week. All right. I need a pat on. No, I'm just kidding. But I feel the same way. I, we need Jesus. That's exactly right. We need Jesus, but love is a choice. Even when we don't get it right, it's still a choice that we make. So even if we don't make it absolutely perfect in Eric and Jericho's relationship or in Pastor and Amy's relationship, even if there are these moments of turbulence, even if there are mistakes, we come back to the choice of love. When we went on our honeymoon, I'm telling you what, I thought that she always had fresh breath and I woke up one morning and realized the honeymoon's over. She has morning breath. She realized I, let's not put this on the recording, but you know, there are other human functions, okay, that happen that you've hidden while you've dated and now it kind of just comes out to real life, all right? So she loves me in spite of what she knows about me. She knows me more than anybody else in this room knows me, more than anybody else in my life knows me. And she still chooses to love me. And she's not here today. So please pray for her as she continues to recuperate from the flu. I I said, honey, you got to go to work on Monday. I don't care if it's in a stretcher. Like, you got to go. We got to get this taken care of. Um, But anyway, love is a many-splendored thing. But sometimes we don't get it right. Aren't you glad that we don't have to depend on God getting it right towards us? but that he always has gotten it right. And he's always choosing to love us. And what we read in Romans chapter five, verse eight, God demonstrates his love toward me that while I was still sinning, And we could put a paraphrase there. While I continue to make mistakes in my life, he still loves me. Christ still died for me. His sacrifice still matters even when I don't deserve it. And the truth of the matter is we rarely, if ever, actually deserve it. I don't think that we know a time in this life of ours that we can say we deserve God's love, yet he still chooses to give it to us. So love is not happenstance. It's not accidental. It's a choice. And I hope the college students here today listen. It originates in God. It is so much more than what's been labeled as chemistry Love is a commitment. It's a choice that we make. Love is selfless, not selfish. Love is costly. It's not free. Love is life-giving in the midst of the worst circumstances of your life. The people around you who love you surround you and help you through it. Think of the moments that you've experienced the death of a loved one. What does everyone do? They cook meals and bring them over. They hug you at a funeral home. They stand beside you and they grieve because they love you. They're walking with you through this. It's life-giving. It's a choice. We can choose not to love. You ever chose not to love somebody? Be honest. Don't make me be the only guy with his hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, a couple of you. We can choose not to love. We can choose how much we love. And we can choose who? We love. So worship is love expressed. Go with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter four. A pet peeve of mine, I'll tell you that right now, is do not call this the book of Revelations. It's not plural, okay? It's a pet peeve of many preachers, okay? It's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it it encompasses some visions and some pretty crazy things that happen. But I want you to think about this, and I don't want to go too far into the rest of my series today because it's going to be a short time for us before we start worshiping again. The first moment of the word worship being used is in the life of Abraham. So cool if you read the passage and you just pay attention to the wording. He's taking his son to the mountain to sacrifice him. And he says to his servants, no, you guys stay here. We're going to go worship and then we're going to come back. He knew that God was not gonna fail in his promise. He said the word we on purpose. We're coming back. We're gonna get through this, but that's worship, and we think about the giving that happened with, um, I uh, with uh, Jacob and Esau, the challenge that was there in Scripture in Genesis. But now we go to the last book, which is Revelation, and we start to read about worship. Even then, the John who wrote this book—I want to tell you, give you some insight. Okay, before we start to read in Revelation chapter four, the John who wrote this book is not a Baptist. <laughs> He's not the Baptist who dunked people in the water in the Jordan River or other places. He is the Apostle John. He also wrote the letters in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's up in years at the time of his writing, and he's had a long ministry at this point. A new emperor becomes the emperor of Rome named Domitian. So as he's persecuting the Jews and the Christians, he finds out there's a man who's still a believer of Jesus, who walked with him and lived life with him, who's spreading this good news, and he wants to shut it down. So he sends an order to get the apostle John and to put him in chains and imprison him on an island, which is still around today, it's a Greek island, named Patmos. Okay, So he's there, They've, they had marble mines on the island, there were caves there and things like that, but he basically, he's this old guy, but he's still a threat to this emperor. He's, he's a perceived threat to him. So while there, God gives John the visions that have been written down in the book of Revelation, and in chapter 4, he's invited into the throne room of heaven. He sees and hears things happening and is told to write them for us. So think about that for just a moment as we start to dive in. Verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne there were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. They were clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Jumping down to verse 9, it says, whenever the living creatures, which are described in those Few verses we skipped give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. And they say something. In verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Get this picture in your head. John's told by a trumpeting voice, there's a door open that says, come up here. He hears the voice and immediately he's in the spirit. He sees something magnificent that he can only start to describe with jewel-like colors of things that are swirling about and things that he sees. He describes some crazy creatures that have been created and that are in that same room and they're worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping and as they worship, there are 24 elders and we could get into a whole lot of stuff about who those elders are and all the different things, but suffice it to say they're in the throne room of God. They've got crowns on their head and when others worship, they begin to worship. They take their crown and they throw it down before the king and they kneel and they worship and they shout what we hear here. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. This picture must have been breathtaking for the apostle John to see. This is our chief reason to worship God and to express our love to him. The first and primary reason is this, because he is our creator. In the same secular worldview that you can hear, spinning about in the world today, and it's even in some of our Christian school curriculums. It's weaved itself in there about evolution. The thing is this, and I probably sound like an old fogey when I say this, but when I say this, it's absolutely true. When we start to have a society that has allowed God to be erased from the public arena, in those moments, we start to lose sight of morality. We start to lose sight of all of that. So now we've got students who are learning about evolution and that something happened and somehow we all came to be we lost our tails and here we are genesis chapter 1 1 tells us very clearly that god is the creator of all things he created all things and it's by his will that they exist and were created if i'm here by accident there is no reason for living But if I believe and if I know to be true that God created me, the Bible says that there are authors who have said in the Bible that he created me in the innermost place. In my mother's womb, he created me, the psalmist says. And he saw my parts being formed. My daughter asked me recently, she said, Daddy, where was I before I got here? (laughs) I thought, that's pretty cool to have that question be asked by a seven-year-old. I said, honey, all I know is you're a gift from God from heaven above. You were formed by God himself. It's important for you to know that because then when you know that and can grasp that as not being a theory but being the ultimate truth of life, then I have a purpose in knowing a God who loves me. Then I understand what that looks like. I was gripped when I'm reading this and in comparison in in 1 John 4 when the Apostle John is talking about love, you can't find that in the other religions of this world. God truly is love and he has created us. Verse 27 of chapter 1 in Genesis says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Do you understand how important it is to have a biblical worldview and understanding? It says male and female, he created them. We can look at Genesis and really start to form our theology of life, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says this For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, those things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is also still creating. Once a creator, always a creator. He's still creating today by something that we call the new birth. He's still creating new life today when we see people who are experiencing faith for the first time who are being what we call born again. He's still a creator. So worship is love expressed. The second point in this is that we don't worship because we're worthy. We worship because he's worthy. Say this with me. I am Come on, say it like you're awake. I am not worthy. We are not worthy. Nothing that we do to serve in the kingdom of God, no amount of money you put in an offering, no amount of kind deeds that you do for someone else, no amount of anything amounts to anything in comparison to the love that God has for each one of us. So we say this commonly around here that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more and there is nothing that you can do to make him love you less. He loves you just the same because he is characteristically defined as the virtue of love itself. We have no reason not to worship. He created us so we have a reason to worship him. We read from 1 John a few minutes ago, the apostle of love. Seems like this guy really gets it. He's writing and if you look at his writings and look at those letters, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, you look through there, you can see love all throughout it. You can see him addressing people as beloved. Anybody ever called you my beloved? <laughs> That's, okay, well, he was serious about this. It was, a, it was not just a sentimental thing or a, hey, sweetheart, or a, hey, sugar, or a, hey, my bro, my man. It was a, beloved, you're loved by me, and you're loved by God. So this guy seems to really get what love is and what it's all about. It seems like he's earned his ticket, but it's this same guy, listen to me, Who earlier in his life has been nicknamed by Christ himself as the Son of Thunder. This is a guy who he and his brother James, they would have rather, they were rather eager and they would have rather just called down fire from heaven and extinguish all the people who were bad and dirty and whatever in order to rectify and and remedy things. Jesus Christ says, Whoa, buddy, slow your roll. Just calm down a little bit. I sincerely believe this is part of next week's sermon, but I'm going to give you a little taste. I sincerely believe it's the work of the Holy Spirit alone that led that son of thunder who was so eager and crazy wild to become now a son of love. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit as being allowed to take part in him that he became a partner with the Holy Spirit's work and allowed God to speak into his life and let him not be the guy who was so angry and so out there but became someone who was loving to all. The point being, this guy wasn't worthy either. Have you ever read the lineage of Jesus Christ? There are prostitutes in there. There are murderers and thieves in there. There are all sorts of characters in there leading up to the life of Christ. He truly is the only perfect one who deserves our worship and none of us are worthy. The point is this about John. He's not worthy to be there in the presence of God, in the throne room of God in Revelation chapter four. But he's there because of what the worthy one has done for him and in him. Revelation is a beautiful book and it's got amazing imagery. Later on, just a few chapters later, you find the Apostle John literally standing to the side and he's waiting for a scroll to be unrolled and he begins to weep and cry because they can't find anyone worthy to unroll this scroll. And here the son of God is the worthy one who then unrolls and opens the scroll. He is the only one who's worthy. So we need to make the choice to express our love to God. He wants you to come to him after you fouled out. He wants you to come to him in the midst of your struggle. Guess what? He wants you to come to him when you don't have a struggle. (laughs) He wants you to come to him in the good time and in the bad Because what we end up doing is treating him like a genie. And yet he still loves us for all the junk we put him through. We treat him like, oh God, I don't know what to do with my finances. Oh God, I don't know what to do with my relationship. Oh God, I don't know what to do with my job. And he's like, where you been? (laughs) How's things? He wants to have relationship with us in the good and in the bad. So he created you and deserves your worship regardless of how you feel currently. Regardless of my wife and I having an altercation, not physical, but, you know, a disagreement this week, we still love each other. We're teaching our kids that just because mommy and daddy might have been heard three rooms away and we, you know, have a discussion on something or we send kids to their room because we need a moment to just kind of hash something out quietly and peaceably, we have to understand and help them understand divorce isn't an option for us. Mommy and daddy, what's going to happen when you argue? We're going to work it out. And that's not to say anything towards those who have experienced divorce or are living in a remarried state right now. It's not about that or judgment towards that. It's about what I'm trying to do in the, in the spiritual and physical reality of my children to get them to understand what I'm still striving to understand myself. And that is that God loves me no matter what. He loves me forever and always. And he loves me with all of his heart. Brightened Last night, she found something—a treat—in her bedroom. It was a little thing that they use for their tea party. It's filled with chocolate chips. She came to me and she said, "Daddy, I found this in our bedroom. What should I do with it?" I said, "Go, go, put it in the kitchen." She's walking awfully slow <laughs> to the kitchen. So then she walks awfully slow on the way back because she's trying to chew it all <laughs> to get it all down, okay? So then she turns and she says, you know, something like, good night, daddy, or something. And I notice she's got white chocolate drizzle coming out of the corner of her, her mouth. There's no reason. I didn't tell her not to eat it. There's nothing to fight about or fuss about. But I said to her, I just said, Brighton, did you eat some of that ch- those chocolate chips? And she said, yes, daddy, She was like, please, Lord, get it all in before he tries to take it away. And I said, baby, I said, did you brush your teeth yet? And she said, no. And I said, okay, go brush your teeth. She's got to understand that I love her no matter what. She's got to understand that I love her with all of my heart, that there's nothing that she can do to change that. And I want us as believers to know this too. So regardless of how you failed, regardless of who you were, regardless of who you are, regardless of literally anything, God loves you. Worship team, would you come back and join me today? The gospel message is this, that we cannot do anything to make God love us more or to make him love us less. I want you to stand with me. And I wanna give you some encouragement this morning as the worship team leads us into these last two or three songs. I want you to think about the words of this message as you worship today. And I wanna give you some instruction. The first thing is this, engage your mind. Don't think about anything else going on today. Don't think about anything that's stressing you out. Engage your mind to think about God. Think about what he's done. The second thing is this, use your mouth. I don't care if you're introverted. I don't care if you're extroverted. Use your mouth out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks, scripture says. So that means just whisper a prayer to him. Even if it's a, God, I need you. And then the third thing is this, use your body. We say, what? Yeah, use your body. There are postures of worship throughout scripture that talk about raising our hand or kneeling down and you can kneel down in your seat. We can whisper a prayer. You can sing songs that they aren't even singing. You can sing songs and add words yourself. You don't have to have a great voice to do this. You just need to have a heart that's turned to Jesus. Just express your love today in some way, shape, or form. I'll come up and pray a closing prayer at the end, but I just want us right now, if you would, just close your eyes. Zero in on this, focus in on this word today, that God is love and that he loves you. He created you for a purpose and he wants you to express your love back to him. Father, I pray right now, as we begin to worship again in singing, that you would receive our praise today. Lord, there are no perfect people in this room today, not even this man. God, I thank you that you are a perfect God who loves us even still. So today, God, we give you all of our praise and all of our worship. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the hearts in this room today to worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.